I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Good evening, Rush Nation. Um, no stocks at the moment, so you get my voice at the top of this. Hopefully, he's going to join us in uh, just a little while. But don't worry, uh, never alone. Got a really great, not just a great guest, but a great friend and someone who uh, used to don these shores before taking his boat to his own island and starting his own little sanctuary, um, which I couldn't be happy with given the amount of content and the amount of great work he does. My very good friend, Rich. Rich. Welcome back as a guest this time instead of being part of the network. But it's good to have you. Good to see everything you're doing in, in the community this oh, uh, this season. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, no, thank thank you very much for coming on. It's always always lovely to be invited back on and uh, and have a nice chat with yourself. But yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Um, yeah, the, the the season grind continues. We were chatting before we came live of it's sort of that hamster wheel of right. I do this on this day, this on that day, mm. and and you sort of don't come up for air. But yeah. Can't can't quite believe we're week thirteen already. Um, yeah, not not long left. We have literally four and a half weeks left of the fantasy season. Mad, and it's just like it, and it's always this way, isn't it? Like we wait so long for it, and it literally just goes like that. And this season, I feel like has been a roller coaster every week. I don't feel like there's been, and it's not just the injuries, but the processes, the things teams are doing. Every week, it just seems to be a massive upheaval, and there's always a seismic shift that is almost league-defining in fantasy. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel like this season's had more turmoil and, and upheaval than, than any, really, except for the COVID year, maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, it's bad. Normally, I feel like you go into the season and it's like, right, this this is what this team's doing. And I feel like I've kind of got a good handle on their personnel usages, their, you know, run pass splits in neutral games and stuff like that. And it's like, right, it might change at the bye week. Mm. First week, second week out of the bye week. Right now, I've got a good handle on them again. But there's been so many teams that have had drastic changes just randomly in the middle of the season um for no reason you know completely changed their personnel usage completely changed where mm. they're using players or how they're using players and yeah then trying to kind of adjust on the fly and, and pick that up and say right that's that's one game now maybe it's just a fluke right that's two games okay is that a trend yet or is that just another fluke and it's sort of you almost want to react but not overreact and it's just a constant battle and yeah i i don't remember a season like it that's had so many subtle changes in that sort of thing throughout the year is is somewhat mad. Yeah, I feel like this is the year. We always say it, that you can't win your league at the draft. You certainly couldn't have done this year. There's absolutely, if you were just one of these people like a set and forget with your roster, I doubt you're winning your league. I'd love to see a lineup and a roster that proves that theory wrong. But I just feel like if you've not run the waiver on I well or had deep stashes um, that have come to play, kind of feel like you you're going to be struggling at this point with the amount of injuries unless you yes. fluke it. yeah well maybe I, I'd, I'd argue my, my home league maybe i had my best draft i think i've ever done um <laughs> and it's pretty much been set and forget uh since then but apart from that i certainly not the case but yeah in my home league draft i went it's 14 team one qb i had cd lamb amon ross and brown i was picking 14 then I had Brees Hall in the third, uh, DK Metcalf in the third, Brees Hall in the fourth, um, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, who I both traded both for Derek Henry. And then basically since then, it's just been the exact same lineup every week. I've got, because it's 14 teams, start three receivers, I've got no bench options. I've got nobody else that can play. So it's just Derek Henry, Brees Hall, those three receivers. And I seem to be walking to the one seed at the moment but yeah oh. probably 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 an injury will come in and it'll all uh all go into the you know all, all down the pan shall we say <laughs> yeah always one injury away but no that, that's good okay so that is good to hear because i've not found too many leagues like that even leagues that i'm doing really well in and drafted well in there still had to have been some sort of deep stash plays of of sprinkled and They've come to fruition. Um, I'm quite glad in a few leagues I took some late punts on Tank Dell and that just seemed to revitalize teams that didn't look very good at the start. All of a sudden, it's propelled them into playoff contention. So, yeah, I, it, it's a strange old season, but it's, it's definitely, I don't know about you, I almost prefer it because I think it separates. I feel like if you win your league, you're winning it on merit this year. I feel like luck has taken a significant I don't want to say turn down because there's bad luck in play if, if you've been decimated by injuries but I feel like if you win the skill rating of your win will be higher than perhaps in some previous years because of the fact you've had to really navigate quite challenging waters to, to get to a title yeah I think I, I always say it takes skill to make the playoffs and it's luck to win a, win a title and you know, we've we've not got to the playoffs yet. It could it could be straightforward. It could be chaos. Who knows? But I think that's more so this year than ever before. I feel like it has. As you said it's it's taken some skill. It's taken 
you know, anytime you're getting what we got, Raheem Mostert as the RB2, who is a <laughs> mid to late round pick, you've got mm. Kyron Williams, who's looking like a league winner, who was basically undrafted in almost every format. You've got Pukunuku, who was undrafted. Tank mm. Dell, who was a late round pick or undrafted. You've got Keen Allen, Mike Evans, who were, you know, mid round picks. Like, mm. if you look at the top of any points per game list, it's it's all kind of mid and late round picks so yeah it, it's been about being proactive going and targeting those guys and, and kind of getting them before um you know others could see that rather than as you said just drafting based off adp and getting lucky as such yeah and also so i want to get your thoughts on this because i've been talking about this for a while i felt this year that the adp was wild like i felt there was so much value to be had in those mid to late rounds. If you didn't draft off ADP and you knew there was value to be had later, I feel like especially running backs, there was seems to be a massive misplacement of ADP on back. Did you find the same? I, I just feel like it was well off this year in, in especially the running back position and some of the wide receiver positions. Yeah, I think it's, it's tough for me to answer that honestly, because obviously I, I don't play a huge amount of redraft. It's basically my home league, Scott Fishbowl, Warrior Bowl, mm. And that's it. It's I'm I'm purely best ball in dynasty. Um, I think that the the obsession with the running back dead zone has kind of mm. almost filtered in to a point that it's changed values in drafts. And yeah. I think that you know, a couple of years ago, the running back dead zone was a real thing. Mm. And I think that as soon as you know, I talk about this quite a lot in Dynasty, but as soon as something becomes consensus opinion, there's almost value to then go against it. And 100%. I think that the running back dead zone became so well known and everybody talked about it. And yeah, there, there are absolutely cases if you look at ADP where there was the running back dead zone. But because everybody's aware of that dead zone, mm. it completely changes the landscape. And I think that we saw a huge amount of fairly unproven young wide receivers mm. boosted into that second third round range that in previous years probably would have been third fourth fifth round picks but because everybody didn't want to take a running back in that point the mm. wide receivers got boosted up and then we've yeah. seen the lights of t higgins devonta smith all disappoint quite frankly yeah although i do have this belief that i think now Devonta Smith's value is going to come through. We've seen it in the last few weeks. I think you're going to see him, especially with that schedule, potentially, if you've stuck with him, might ha- might pay off in the in the end. But you've struggled to this point if you've been an owner, except for maybe the last couple of weeks. So Yeah. And anytime it's that that Eagles offense is similar to the 49ers offense in that if everybody's healthy good luck predicting which one's going to have a good week. Yeah. If as soon as a player's injured, it becomes clear, you know, as soon as Dallas Goddard went down, it was like, great. Devonta Smith's probably going to pay off his price. Mm. But the problem is, is that if you drafted Devonta Smith, he's probably already buried your team because you spent a second round pick on him. Yeah. And he's, I, I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, but he's probably what a wide receiver three in terms of production right now. Yeah. He's hovering on that sort of two, three line. Um, depending on the format you choose. Um, I think he's going to return. Depends how it finishes, but I think he's probably going to end up in a mid-range wide receiver two role, which is fine. 
but it's not what you not what you paid for. And certainly you wouldn't have got the productions week one through ten, with the exception of one week he had a good week. I think it was early on, maybe week two, I can't remember off the top of my head. But in week ten onwards, again, as you mentioned, with the Dallas Goddard injury, but then also we're starting to see with the coverage that it could start to open up for him. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um people love the new shiny toys. They have a small relatively piece of production and then all of a sudden uh, people just love the new hotness and go for it. And again, massively inflated. I was just keen to get your views because I know you're you're really, you track a lot of this stuff, especially in Dynasty. Do you find in Dynasty with, and obviously it's going to be skewed more towards younger players, that there is an overvaluation of rookie second round or second year and third year wide receivers or do you find and do you find there's a way to pivot around that or not really i think it's 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 difficult to say because young wide receivers are the best value in fantasy Mm. so when they hit they return but they also have a high bus rate i think Mm. that we as a as a dynasty community overvalue age I think that's that's a given, but it's also difficult because if you build a team without looking at age, yeah, you're probably good for a year, maybe two, and and then all of a sudden it's a complete teardown and having to start again. So I think it's an inexact science, but I do think that perhaps we're too quick to latch on to young players who show a glimmer and mm. Anoint them as the next great thing. I think tight end is probably the worst position for this. You know, I, I do a study every year that basically looks at tight ends under the age of 25. And it's basically any tight end that's ranked in dynasty between tight end eight and tight end 36 has got a, I think, a 40% chance of returning value. And it's basically we anoint, you know, you just got to look at this year, look at the likes of Chi. Chigozi and 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 stuff yeah. like that. He was anointed as the next great thing coming into this offseason. And <laughs> what's he done this year? He's literally not been fantasy relevant at all. And we'll do the exact same thing. You know, Sam Lepore is the dynasty Titan one right now. Mm. Okay, he's having a phenomenal season as a rookie, but he's, you know, the chances of him returning that value over the next two, three years is pretty low. Dalton yeah. Kincaid's a top four tight end. You know, it, we do it time and time again. It's like, yeah, uh, do we never learn with these young tight ends? You look at Carl Pitts, you yeah. know, he was a first round starter pick two years ago. Oh, yeah. And go and ask anyone who paid up for that price for Carl Pitts how they're feeling because they're, you know, they're probably not feeling very happy about that roster. You and... wait until the Falcons sign Zach Ertz next week. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. a really poor fire on that because yeah, you know it's going to happen. I think yeah. everyone knows. And I can't it's, wait. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that's it. Is that I think we? It's difficult to say with wide receivers because those young wide receivers, if you get it right, mm. the the increase in value is is completely incredible, and they become completely unobtainable. You know, if you look at Tank Dell, if you bought into Tank Dell, I've got Tank Dell as my wide receiver twenty in Dynasty right now. I put a thing out on Twitter and so many people are telling me I'm too low and I'm thinking I'm re- I'm higher than consensus. I think yeah. there's people that have got Tank Dell as like a top 10 dynasty wide receiver right now. That's madness. No way. And this is this is a guy that was a fourth round pick in May. Mm. You know, it's it's absolutely mad. And could we see Tank Dell turn into a pumpkin next year and and fail to deliver that? 
absolutely it's in the range of outcomes i'm the biggest tank Dell fan that you'll find i love the guy but there is absolutely a, an outcome where teams adjust they realize that whilst he's got a great route runner and got phenomenal body control actually if you get hands on him he does struggle mm. and he runs a i wouldn't say a simple route tree because he runs quite a lot of routes but it's not the most complex and i think that actually I'm really intrigued to see how NFL teams adjust to him next year because I think that there is going to be an adjustment in the offseason. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think with CJ Stroud, I I was always, and I said this many times, that I believed that CJ Stroud year one was always going to be better than Bryce Young. Bryce Young was always, to me, a bit more of a project pick because of his size um, and the way that he plays the game was going to need a lot more time to adjust to NFL speed as I feel like Stroud would come out. I never, don't get me wrong. Never expected what he's doing. Right. I'm not sitting here anointing myself as, as Nostradamus thinking he's going to be a top four, top five QB, but I did feel he would have a better season out of all the rookies. Cause I felt he was the most pro ready. I feel like there is nothing but regression in season. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Jay Stroud's game for next year. Just don't believe that what I think what we're seeing now is the very best you're ever going to see of CJ Stroud. And he might maintain this level, and that would be amazing if he does. But I just feel that there is going to be a, a natural drop-off, similar to what we saw with Joe Burrow after his Super Bowl year, similar to what we saw with Justin Herbert. You know, we're littered with uh year one, year two, you know, um Trevor Lawrence this year. They, they hit a peak and then they sort of plateau, take a small decline. It's really only Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen that have really hit a height and maintained a level. Even Lamar Jackson dipped. Everyone takes this natural devolution downwards and then eventually the, the great ones rise back up again. But I, I just think if you're betting on Tank Dell to be a, a top 20 wide receiver in Dynasty and CJ Stroud to be a top 10 QB in dynasty next year. I don't, I don't see it. I just don't. And I, and I'm with you. I love, I love both players and I, and I've got tanked out rest of the season wide receiver one, but I just don't see it next season. That it correlates. I think I'm very concerned that Bobby Sloak could get a head coaching job. And I think that nobody's banking that in. And I think that what CJ Stroud is absolute has done is absolutely phenomenal. But let's not forget that a big part of the reason why he's having the production he's had is that he is being put in advantageous situations. 
Yeah. That offensive line is absolutely horrendous. <laughs> okay. The reason, if you go and look at it, it was it was really fascinating. I was listening, very nerdy. I was listening to the PFF podcast earlier today, and they were talking about basically there is a direct correlation between offensive line play and quarterback sack rate, mm. except in Shanahan schemes. So you look at San Francisco, Miami, Houston, which are kind of the three main ones at the moment. Their offensive line grading is horrendous. Mm but their quarterbacks aren't getting sacked because the scheme has got answers built in. And yeah, you know, D'Amico Ryans might have a, another fun, phenomenal offensive coordinator lined up, but I think Bobby Slowick is definitely going to be in head coaching interviews this offseason. Maybe, maybe he goes the Ben Johnson route and waits a year, but there is a world where Ben Slowick, uh, Bobby Slowick go, goes and gets a head coaching job and it's like right now, now the Shanahan scheme's gone. We've not got the next, mm. you know, offense coordinator on the, on the uh, conveyor mm. belt. Those offensive line issues are going to show up, and is that going to have a direct impact on the way that CJ Stroud can sit in the pocket confidently and pick passes? If he's not got as much time in a clean pocket, if he's not got those built-in answers, is that going to impact on Tank Dell's <laughs> production and stuff? So I think it's, yeah, like CJ Stroud, and I don't want to be bashing him. CJ Stroud and Tank right. Dell are phenomenal. I love him in Dynasty. As I said, I've got Tank Dell. He's my wide receiver 20. I think CJ Stroud's like my QB6 or something in Dynasty right now. Yeah. I'm super high on both, but I just think we need to be cautious and kind of mm. preach a bit of caution because there is absolutely a scenario we're both disappointed next year. Yeah, and in fact, being look at historical trends, it's, it's more likely that they regress, both of them, than kick off. Um, and that is not a degradation of their talent. That's not saying they're not talented players. It's just, as you say, everyone, Houston is taking this league by surprise, but the way that they are playing and the way that they're scheming up and the way that they're delivering week on week, even when they lose, they're still delivering great offensive numbers. Defensive coordinators across the league are not going to let that happen next year. It's just not going to happen. So, um, they'll have good weeks and they'll spike, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I want to go into a little bit about last week and then some things that potentially sort of surprised you um, on what perhaps were probably what you weren't expecting out of week 12 games uh, that we can take as lessons going forward. Yeah. So I guess my, my first one would be the Cooper cup. Um, I've kind of been, you know, he, he's disappointed, frankly, since he came back from injury and I was holding out hope that it was just a trend, but this is now five straight weeks where he's not broken seven PPR points. In those games, he's had target shares 25.9%, but he left the game injured, and then 16.1%. Like, the guy's getting the targets. The mm. guy's getting the volume. He's getting used in similar ways. I think the injury is still an issue. He doesn't look agile. He doesn't look mobile. But this is a, a player that we all hope, you know, he, he was a top six pick before the injury. I think we all hoped that he was going to be a fancy superstar. And quite frankly, he, he's just not getting it done. So yeah, I was I was shocked to see, as I said earlier, that sort of one, two week, is it a blip? Five mm. weeks now is, is, is very much a trend. And, and that's, you know, 16.1% target share is extremely low for the role that he's in. Like even, even if he's catching the majority of those targets, that's not a wide receiver one week. He's not, because of his air dart, 
where he's catching the ball, he's not going to get a wide receiver one week on 16.1% targets. It's just not going to happen unless he breaks a couple of big runs um, and you're requiring on, you know, a lot of situations to happen for him to return that. So, yeah, I'm with you. That really sort of shocked me. Yeah, and I think that usage is is shocking. But even when you say when he's getting the tar- the target share, it's still not happening. Do you is there anything you're seeing that makes you think why that's happening, or do you think it's do you think it's scheme? Do you think it's quarterback play? Do you think it's people are I wise mean, to the situation? I think it's purely health. I think he's not healthy. I think okay. that he relies so much on the mind well meld with Matthew Stafford mm. and that short area quickness. You know, he's not a guy that gets 10 yards open. He's a guy that gets two yards open and carves a window and then he's good with the ball in his hands. And mm. the problem is, is that I think because he's still carrying these ankle injuries, he doesn't look like the same player in that short area quickness and he's not as explosive out of the cut and therefore he's not creating the separation. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably what I hold out hope, that it is just health and that hopefully if, as he gets healthier, you know, he can continue to produce. But let's not pretend that, you know, Cooper Cup's getting up there in age. I can't remember if he's 30 or 31 now, but this is a player yeah. that we're probably going to start to see decline physically and from a health standpoint. So if we're starting to see that health impact him like this now, it's probably only going to increase as we move forward for the rest of, you know, the next year, two, three down the line. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Anything else shock you in week 12? Yeah, I mean, the Travis Etienne split is is very alarming. Um, you know, I talked earlier about a one-week bump, two-week bump. Now three weeks, it's a trend. So, yeah, Travis Etienne, I think running back three on, on this season, looked like incredible value, potentially leading people to, to playoffs and things. But we're now three weeks that he's been below a 70% snap share three weeks he's been blown a 75% opportunity share and hasn't broken 13 fancy points in those weeks. I think that the Jaguars in the throughout the entire offseason, they were telling us, we don't want Travis Etienne to be an every down back. We want to, you know, split mm. time. They were every time you listen to anyone in Jaguars camp, they were talking up Tank Bigsby. They gave Tank Bigsby the, the chance early on in the season. He looked horrendous. They've then let Travis Etienne run with it. And then the last three weeks, they've gone, right, we don't want Etienne carrying the rock as much as this. Mm. We want him healthy come the playoffs. So they're spilling in Dionis Johnson. And now, you know, with Travis Etienne not getting that high receiving usage, the high volume of carries and the goal line work, he's now just like in that RB2 territory, which three weeks ago, if I'd have said to you that, Travis Etienne is, you know, being ranked weekly as, a, as an RB2. I think you'd have all been shocked, but that's where he is now, despite the fact that on the season, as I said, he's the running back three. Yeah, I'll also say that you're right, and then I'll also say that the Jaguars told us this was going to happen. It's just they didn't have that alternative, and now they've got Dennis Johnson going. He's on pace currently for 355 touches which only three quarterbacks in the last five years have hit that pace. Uh, three running backs. Because we talked about Stroud in my head. Three running backs in the last five years have hit that pace. So I think at this point of the season, I and I talked about this a few weeks ago, that 
I look at running back touch rates and I see how many touches. And if they're on pace for that higher workload and there's not a justifiable, you know, and there's not a reason for it, then it's likely going to tail off. I think exactly the same for Tony Pollard. So I think you're seeing Rico Dowdle for exactly the same reason. My exceptions to this rule are Josh Jacobs, because he's got no contract next year. So do the Raiders organization really care if they run the wheels off him? Probably not. They're probably quite happy to let him go and have 400 touches that he's on pace for because they're not thinking about next year and they're probably going to move on because they're going to be rebuilding and they're not going to rebuild around Josh Jacobs. Christian McCaffrey, that could be, you know, he's on he's on pace right now for, uh, let's have a quick look, uh, 373 touches. So I put him in like that red zone for his age at 28. Can his body hold up and sustain that workload? Which is why I think you're starting to see Eliza Mitchell getting a little bit more work. I think if they can take away three to five touches a game, it's not going to hurt the fantasy value. But I think it's going to, and I think when you get to the fantasy playoffs, I do worry slightly about Christian McCaffrey because I do think they could pivot to a situation where they will use him a little bit less and be efficient, especially if they've won the division and they're not in the race for the one seed, which is quite a likely outcome. Which is why I'm slightly concerned about Tony Pollard in the fantasy playoffs because there's a scenario by week 15, week 16 that the Cowboys lock the five seed. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, and it's it, like, why would you run Pollard to the ground when you're going to be away in the playoffs? Yeah, I think the the, the thing I'd say about Pollard though is that I get the usage argument, but I almost mm. feel like he's one of the players that I almost feel might be more efficient with less usage. I yeah. do wonder if you know we've seen in previous years he's been hyper efficient on a low volume of touches, and I think that part of the issue this year is that. He's he's still explosive if you look at it in the receiving game, but he's not as explosive in the running game. And I think that if you could ease the workload, we might see him used in still the advantageous situations. You know, his red zone usage has been absolutely wild this year. And the fact that he's not scored any more touchdowns than he has is unbelievable. Could we see him, you know, get fewer carries between the 20s still keep that receiving work, still keep that red zone work. And therefore he's still getting the high value touches, but instead of getting 25 touches a game, he's only getting 20. Yeah. And because he's a little bit more efficient and he gets maybe some more goal line luck, should we call it that? Yeah. That we see similar, if not better production, despite the potential drop in, in overall workload. And as you say, that's such a key point because Tony Pollard's gone from, a few weeks ago, he was on pace for a little over 350 touches. He's now gone to, he's on pace for 307, 308. So that to me is not an overusage. I feel like that's a good, if he maintains that 18 touches a game, he'll carry on at that sort of pace for the rest of the season. I feel like that's, you say, I think that's his optimum. I think he was being overused. And I think the coordinators are starting to understand now that Bell cow can still be bell cow on 18, 19 touches, but it's just is 25 touches a game and over usage. And we've seen this with Eckler um, over the years has always been over effective um, on less touches, even though he's been a bit of a, a volume monster, but the games we had the really high volumes were not his ceiling games. Same with Saquon Barkley. Um, 
he's been run to the ground the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, it's it's it does fascinate me. I always look at this stuff because I I try to look at it as highlight for injuries. Because again, three hundred and fifty touches, very few players ever do that in the season at the running back position. Well, why is that? Number one, they don't play seventeen games that often because they get injured. So I think of it as a red zone metric in terms of their health. Um, but then the other pieces, yeah, you get these coordinators thinking about how they reduce that usage, especially with playoff implications and things like that. I just think Jacobs is what I would call the exception because the Raiders have got absolutely no investment in him after this year, and I doubt they pay him. Yeah, he's, he's like DeMarco Murray, the, his funny year with the Cowboys, isn't he? Yeah. And that DeMarco Murray, was, it was very clear the Cowboys weren't going to resign him. I, can't, I, I feel like he got over 400 touches in that final year. It was absolutely well. They basically ran him into the ground and let him go. And you wouldn't be shocked. You know, I, I know that Antonio Pierce is talking about he wants to build the franchise around Josh Jacobs. And it's just like, yeah, okay, that's 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 cool. It's it's nice for now. Let's, let's run him into the ground. But there's no way this franchise, when they bring in a real head coach, a real GM, is going to go, right, let's, let's take this ageing running back who we've got to pay. 10 12 million dollars in free agency and and build mm. a team around him it's just not going to happen is it no absolutely so no that's a, a good one anything else shock you in week 12 yeah i feel like any opportunity i get to talk about calvin ridley i've got i've got to um mm. so yeah I, I i i was a huge calvin ridley fan i thought he was a screaming value in all formats probably not by the end of the off season when he was up in the second round pick in most best ball leagues mm. but he disappointed massively and i think that We've seen the last two weeks he's balling out and, you know, he's had 31.1 and 21.9 points. I keep hearing that it's because Zay Jones is back in the lineup and the truth is, is it's got very little to do with Zay Jones. For his touchdown this week, Zay Jones wasn't even on the field. The reason he has suddenly started producing is that this offence has completely changed how they're lining up the wide receivers. He's gone from having to line up as a true X outside, running essentially digs, comebacks and goes to now you're seeing the Jags used condensed splits more they're using you know subtle motions to get in free releases it's it's almost like they've suddenly realized this is what a modern offense looks like and now he's got two-way goes all over the field and he's winning you know Calvin Ridley's a top five top ten route runner in the league if you're asking mm. him to run three routes you, you you're only, you know you're basically tying him on hand behind his back now you're giving him those condensed splits and you're giving him a two-way go, you're giving him the opportunity to attack a DB. There's very few corners that can cover him one-on-one in those scenarios. And suddenly he's got open more. Trevor Lawrence is finding more. And suddenly this whole offense looks completely different. Trevor Lawrence is playing better. Calvin Ridley's playing better. All because you're now putting Calvin Ridley in advantageous situations (laughs) rather than saying, right, just line up out as an outside receiver and try and win one-on-one without us giving you any advantage at all. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I would also say he's benefiting from a slightly easier schedule as well now. So as much as I think all of that situational uh, and lineup process is is 100% bang on, he eats in matchups where he's likely to dominate. And I think when he's playing against the top eight um, defence and coverage, he does struggle. And it's been really as simple. If you look at the way that he's charted across the season, when he's come against those top eight defences, he has struggled. And that, I think, is more game script. I almost think it's a Doug Pedersen thing. We saw this in Philadelphia where he almost doesn't back his talent. He looks for easy wins uh, in, in matchups and tries to target those. 
as opposed to giving the ball the best player. I don't know why Pedersen does this, but you know this is why his relationship ended so badly in, in Philadelphia. He just didn't put the hands of the balls of the best players, um, which is a very bizarre coaching strategy. And it worked a little bit last season. But yeah, I feel like it's it's a strange situation where it's almost like he doesn't back Ridley to, to beat a top corner, which is wild considering how good he has been and how good he's proven over the years. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot will uh, be be tested, be proven. They've got Cleveland next week and then Baltimore the week after, who are yeah. two of the better teams in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position. So it'll be very interesting to see if, you know, he can still continue up. to produce against, against those better defences, certainly. Well, I just hope they trust him. That's the big thing. I just hope that they do throw the ball to him and just let him see if he can beat those. And I think in against Cleveland, they'll have a, a decent game script because of the quarterback situation. But yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens. Um, I put a couple up in terms of uh, Keaton Mitchell leading the Ravens backfield. You've seen Gus Edwards, and we know that they are reducing his role slightly um, for an efficiency game. And I think a lot of that is thinking ahead towards end of season, but it did shock me that they, they let Mitchell go and take sort of the lead with touches. It was a pretty even split, but he also led with, um, with snaps played as well. It was the first time he led the backfield all season with that, um, which considering how good Gus Edwards has been, that did, that did shock me um, a, a bit. What's your take on Mitchell for the rest of the season? Cause I find him a really difficult player to rank. I think that look, Tom, Tom's going to hate me because Tom's Tom's a massive Keaton Mitchell fan. Shock, he's, yeah. he's a Ravens player. Tom's a fan of any Ravens player. I think that I liked Keaton Mitchell as a prospect, hmm. but I said that I don't see a world where he's getting more than ten touches a game. I just don't think hmm. physically he can he can handle that workload. And I hear what you're saying about you know he he led the Ravens in touches at the running back position and blah 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 he had less than a 40 percent opportunity share and at mm. no point this year has he broken 40 percent. and i think yeah. that yeah he's he's going to be really explosive i think he's going to be great with the touches he's going to get i don't think he's ever going to get 15 touches in a game and no. i think that that is his absolute ceiling i think that you know we saw last week good game script he was explosive good with the game ball in his hands he had nine carries and two targets. Mm. And it's like, so we're saying that's kind of about where his ceiling is. So yeah. I just think that he's the kind of player that you almost don't want to roster because he's going to look really good sat on your bench. Mm. And as soon as you put him in the right lineup, he's probably going to get seven carries for 30 yards and maybe a target. Like, he, yeah. I just don't think... To me, at the running back position, volume is king. Okay. And I just don't see a world where Keaton Mitchell is going to be able to command huge volume mm. to be able to be consistently fantasy relevant. Yeah, if, if you're looking for a high upside flex, why not? Because, you know, he could take any ball to the house at any point anywhere from the across the field. But I think there's yeah. a reason why he was an undrafted free agent. I think there's yeah. a reason why... The Ravens are crying out for running back production. He's been mm. phenomenal whenever he's been on the field, and yet they're still not giving him huge volumes of work. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I almost think he's worth 
rostering on your bench and never playing just so you never have to face him on someone who takes a punter's chance on him. I almost think he's that. It's like a Raheed Shahid, right? It's the other reason you roster him. It's not necessarily to play in most weeks. It's purely to stop him having a, like a wide receiver five week uh, against you just so you don't get unlucky um, with a stupid score. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I haven't rostered him anywhere. I don't think I, I had any plans to because of the volume aspect. But there was a part of me thinking, hmm, maybe I just add him just as insurance so I don't have to play him in case he has one of those Devon Achan games where he just goes off for like 200 yards off like nine carries. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I think I've got 12 dynasty shares and I'm literally holding, waiting for one blow up week and then I'm selling them all because I don't think. As I said, there's going to be consistent production there. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping for that blow up week so then I can kind of sell and get out. Yeah, and then the other situation is just absolutely baffling me is Samaji P Ryan. So I I three weeks ago was just like you can just go off your rosters. He's just dead in fantasy football. They got Jaleel McLaughlin. You've got Javante Williams. They don't know what they're doing uh, coaching on that staff at the moment. They're trying to figure out who's got the talent, who's going to go, who they're going to go ahead with long term. So it's like, oh, P. Ryan, well, he'll, he'll go. And then all of a sudden, he's sort of vaulted back to life. He's gone ahead of Jaleel McLaughlin on the on the depth chart. And he's, you know, put up 13.7, 13.6 fantasy points in, in back-to-back weeks. I mean, again, the volume's not amazing, but he's, you know, week 11, seven passes, 60 yards. Week 12 gets 55 yards and a touchdown, which, I mean, you're not banking on every week, but it's just baffling i don't get what denver are doing like i just don't understand it's as you say these just these wild pivots that just make no sense this usage of samaji p ride makes absolutely zero sense to me yeah it's, it's completely wild the, the craziest thing is that he's doing it on basically hardly any snaps so the last two weeks <laughs> he's had 36.4 percent and 26.9 percent of snaps it's like yeah. i don't get how he's getting so much work on, when he's on the field so little in week 11 right so targets per route run 20 percent is mm. a good number 30 yeah. percent is like superstar okay so margie period had a 58 percent target per route <laughs> run in, in week 11 it's like that's it makes no sense. the most obscene number i think i've seen all year and it's i don't get it I don't get it. I don't get the usage. I don't get this offense other than the <laughs> fact that they're, they're scoring points and winning games. It's it's weird. It's all over the place. But yeah, I mean, if if you want to stick some Roger Piran into a lineup, go for it. But yeah. I think for me, he's, you know, he's in this roster clogger territory where mm. he's too good to be on wave wires. But I certainly don't ever feel confident putting him in any lineup. So. No he just sort of sits there. And even if there's an injury, you know, if Javante Williams goes down, I think it's going to be McLaughlin and P Ryan and they're going to split the backfield and there's not going to be enough work. So yeah, maybe he's a player you need to try and trade away before you trade deadline and and kind of get some decent value in return. I couldn't agree more. I think if you can get him, I mean, I advise people three weeks ago to drop him. I was like, I don't know why he's still on your rosters because it makes no zero sense having him there. And I did have a couple of shares of him early on because I didn't bank on the health of Javonta Williams. So I was like, well, I'll take the backup uh, and go that way. Um, I don't think I've got, I maybe have one or two shares in super deep leagues that are just ridiculously roster specific, but yeah, I don't think he's a player you can rely on. And and I agree with you. I think actually if Javonta Williams goes down to McLaughlin, is going to take the majority role. Cause that's what we've seen. But then with 
this offense. I wouldn't bank anything. I mean, like Jerry Judy's done absolutely nothing all year and you spent like a fifth, sixth round pick on. Might end up being a league winner for you just the way that Sean Payton decides to just mess with fantasy teams at the moment. So uh, who knows? And then another offense is just good luck predicting who's going to be your guy. Uh, is Washington with Curtis Samuel, 11 targets, 100 receiving yards. He got two yards less than Dotson and McLaurin combined in week 12, which is just, again, I don't quite understand. That's another offense. I don't, every week it's something different. It's hard to put a picture on what is going on in, in Washington. Yeah, it's, it's basically every player on the offense has somewhere between like a 15% and 20% target share. And nobody's got kind of beyond 25. It's wild in terms of there's so many options, so many mouths to feed that none of them are actually getting fed. Mm. And yeah, Kurt Samuel pops up for a week. John Dotson's had the odd week. Terry McLaurin's been hugely disappointing, but had the odd week. Logan Thomas has popped up and it's like, yeah, hope hope these guys are on your best ball rosters, but maybe not on your redraft rosters because you're probably not doing, doing particularly great if you're starting them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I like to look at players with some statistical trends that we potentially need to monitor. Are there any players that you're keeping an eye on based on last couple of weeks of performance and potential upticks that uh, could be sniffed out from utilization or usage? I think basically any, any rookie, isn't it? I think any rookie that has flashed something so far in this season, whether that be, you know, the, it feels like Rashi Rice is being talked about by every person, every podcast at the moment. Um, I think Jalen Hyatt last week was particularly interesting that they finally mm. actually used him as he should be used rather than trying to force the square peg into a round hole. Um, but yeah, any any of those rookies, whether it be Zach Charbonnet up in Seattle or stuff like that, that have flashed, we know that at this time of year, those rookies that tend to be the guys that are league winners for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much monitoring them. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I had some notes on Hyatt. Um, obviously, his first 100-yard game. Um, but, you know, 70% root share, which is second highest of the season. So, I'm, I'm not wild on having him on too many lineups, but I think he's definitely a stash play. It's just DeVito and, and that offense is just not one I want to bank on, but... I think he's a player you should just sort of put away, have him on your bench, see what he does for a couple of weeks and see if it might be a useful piece moving forward. Um, yeah, I think and the, right. yeah. the encouraging thing on Hyatt is that they basically only got him to run three types of routes. It was shallow crosses, mm. um, drags across the field and, and go routes. And it's like, that's that's how he should be used. He's, he's skinny as hell, but he's fast mm. as hell. And he's a phenomenal tracker of the ball deep down the field. So, yeah, you use him across the field to run away from defenders, use him deep. He's never, just the profile of him, he's never going to be a player that you can feel confident starting in, in any lineup. You know, you no. look at, he's kind of prime DJ Jack, uh, Deshaun Jackson is, I guess, his potential fantasy ceiling in that he'll have six or seven weeks where he completely wins you the game, wins win you your matchup. He'll have five catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. And then he'll do nothing for the next two weeks. So yeah, this he, if if you're if you've got him on a redraft bench, if you've got him on a dynasty bench, I think yeah, hold him. But if you're expecting to put him into a lineup anytime soon, I'd probably say you, you need to be looking elsewhere because I don't think mm. he's going to have that reliable bankable volume and, and production. 
Yeah, agree. And on Rashi Rice, you know, great week from a roots run, targets and yards, but his ADOP was only 4.3, which was bizarre and a slight concern, I would say. Um, again, I don't feel like the Chiefs have worked out the best way to keep Rashi Rice consistently involved. But of all the wide receivers on that roster, he's the only one I would ever consider starting on a consistent basis because he seems to be the one that has maybe the best utilization. I think that this last week they finally worked out how to use him. And I think that you look at Rashi Rice, he went to SMU, they wide receivers at SMU, they run like three routes. Yeah. He is so raw as a route runner, it is unbelievable. <laughs> but the thing is, is that he is a phenomenal athlete and he is amazing with the ball in his hands. So the Chiefs finally realised and said, look, we, we can't line him up and expect him to be a traditional wide receiver. But he's probably the best weapon on this offence mm. in terms of getting the ball in his hands, but being a consistent target. You know, he's he's basically what they wanted Kadarius Tony to be, but is a slightly bigger target and, and more reliable hands. So I think that they're gonna you're gonna see him used in the screen game. You're gonna see him used with a relatively low ADOP and and let him feast after the catch. I don't mm. think because of how Rory is as a route runner, I don't think he's gonna be able to, you know, say right, he's gonna see a 25% target share, he's gonna have an ADOP of eleven, and he's gonna be used as you see every other X wide receiver in the league. He is mm a unique specimen and hopefully, you know, over the next off season into next year, he can continue to round out his game and become a prototypical traditional wide receiver. But as things stands, he's so raw that he, he does just need to at the moment be used almost as an after the catch monster. And I think that the chiefs have finally realized that. And last week we saw it. And I think that mm. hopefully for fantasy purposes, as someone that's got an awful lot of Rashi Rice, <laughs> it's I'm I'm hopeful that we're gonna see him continue to kind of increase his role, but be used in the right ways. If they turn around and are like, right, you're gonna be a hundred percent snap player, you've got to run a full route tree, I think he's gonna struggle. But hopefully they can use him and, and utilize him in, in correct ways to that's for fantasy basically yeah I, and, I, and I completely agree with you I, it was a shock to see that air dot a bit of it but as you say it's something that you can see it worked my only concern will be that's an easy defensive coordinators can wise up to that sort of style of play quite quickly if they've got the personnel to do it that would be my only concern for Rashi Rice but I think long term um I'm really excited by what he can do. I think he could be one of the steals of the last draft class in terms of, and it's tough to say that right about a late second round pick, but I do feel like if he puts it all together, he can be surpassing some of those first round wide receivers. Um, when we look back at their entire career and body of work, if he continues to develop the way that he is. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, it, it it seems like we've got to talk about uh, Matt Thornton's man crush, um, Michael Carter, because he's kind of made not necessarily a fantasy appearance, but he's having a fantasy impact in the way that he's being used and he's hindering James Connor in, in Arizona. Um, so I put on here that um, 
you know, looking at Carter, 36% of snaps, 38% route run. He had four catches. All right, it was in garbage time. But considering Connor only had 30% of routes, do we feel that the Cardinals, because of where they are and of James Connor's contract, that we feel that Michael Carter might make a bit of a dent into James Connor's workload for the rest of the season, almost as a preserving nature? Or do you think there's more to that story? I don't think there's any more to it. But I think that him having any sort of dent to James Connor is massive because mm. James Connor is is not an incredibly explosive athlete. He's not a player that's gonna, you know, take the ball to the house from eight yards away. He mm. needs huge volume to be able to return value. Mm. I really like James James Connor as a value in drafts this offseason because I thought where he's going the price you mm. have to pay, he's going to see huge amounts of volume. He doesn't even need to be good, but just based yeah. on that volume, he he's going to return on the investment. The problem is, is that if you're starting to take him off the field, if you're starting to eat into that receiving usage, you know, is he going to miss out on garbage time? Is he going to miss out on third mm. downs? He's suddenly going from, you know, an 80, 90% opportunity share to a 60%, 70%. And actually that's the difference between him being like a mid RB2 to an RB3. And all of a mm. sudden you're you're basically turning him into a replacement level player. So yeah, I don't think Mark Carter's ever going to be anything like I'm a Jets fan. I've seen him plenty. Yeah. He's he's great as a third down back when he gets to go out on routes. He's one of the worst pass protectors in the league. So, you know, any team that sees him in the backfield is just going to send an extra blitz. And that's why the Jets got rid of him because it, it him being on the field pigeonholed the offense massively. And I think that it's fine at the moment because when he's getting on the field, it's it's clear past the situations and he's able to get on routes and stuff like that. But I do think that there's no fancy upside for Michael Carter. It's just almost a negative to James Connor. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I agree with that completely. I just thought, while you're here and you're very good friends with Matt, I thought we had to talk about him. I feel like if we can keep the torch alive with Michael Carter just that little bit longer, I feel like we're doing the, the community a bit of a service or disservice, depending on how you want to view it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Tucker Craft, right? Because a lot of people got very excited about Tucker Craft um, after the Musgrave injury. And then we kind of saw that 85% um, roots, it's amazing. And then two targets. And we've talked about targets per route run. It is 7% targets per route run, which <laughs> there's not many lower numbers you'll see this season other than when you get pure decoy runners getting zero or one target. I mean, what's your take on the situation of Tucker Craft? Are you in as a buy low? Are you out because you don't think there's much value there? I mean, he, he flashed in week 11 and then thanksgiving did nothing I mean, what's your sort of take? it's hard on two games but yeah i think look i i feel like i had a pretty good rocky evaluation mm. tucker craft was my biggest miss by an absolute mile okay. i had him as a top four tight end i am on record as saying that tucker craft will be a better fancy tight end for green bay than luke musgrave um <laughs> I, I was very, very wrong on that evaluation. Um, the Packers are basically using him as an inline tight end. He's mm. He's been kept in to block. 
the majority of of his snaps. Um, suddenly, Luke Musgrove goes in, and and he's being expected to line up outside. You know, he's gone basically when he's played this year, he's been at like 30 40 percent root participation rate. Last week, he was at eight seven point nine. He, he's not an explosive after the catch weapon. He's not a guy that you're going to see line up in the slot, be a great route runner. It's mm. you know, I I think he basically got lucky last week because he scored a touchdown. Mm. You know, if if you're banking on him scoring a touchdown every week, there's like 20 other tight ends that I'd probably throw in that mix, and I'd probably have a lot of them over him. Yeah. He's probably going to play a lot of snaps as long as Luke Musgrove's out because they don't really have anyone else. He'll probably run a few routes, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy in dynasty. If you can sell him, I think it's a great opportunity to sell high in redraft. I, I probably wouldn't even, I'm saying this as I picked him up because I need to start him in, I think warrior bowl <laughs> this week, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be starting him basically anywhere this week. No, unless you you literally got the biocalypse and you you're stuck and you have to start someone. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, just keen to get your thoughts. The last situation I want to talk about is in Pittsburgh. So, significant coaching change. Um, lost the entire coaching staff at last. Matt Canada was fired. I don't know what kind of blackmail he had on ownership to have kept his job for as long as he did. But, you know, he, he's gone. Um, and then we saw a slightly more dynamic offense, I think it's fair to say. Um, <clears throat> maybe not with the end result of points, but we saw some flashes of the handbrake coming off and then Pat Freemove having an, an incredible game, a career best game. Obviously, again, it's really hard because it's one game on a temporary coaching staff. But on what you've seen, how do you value that Pittsburgh of it leave Pickett to one side because Pickett is where he is. I think we all have a good read on where he is, but on Johnson, on Pickens, and on Freer Move, where are you at based on these this potential handbrake coming off? And can you sense some optimism on any of those players going forward? So, first of all, I feel like I should probably caveat anyone that doesn't know I've got a serious Deontay Johnson problem. Um, in that I am completely infatuated with the guy and, and cannot have <laughs> with a, uh, a reason, reasonable opinion when it comes to John T. Johnson. Um, I think that the biggest difference that this offence saw um, with Matt Kander gone is, is that suddenly Kenny Pickett realised that he's, a, he's allowed to throw over the centre of the field. If you've not done it, go and go and have a look. It's it's brilliant. Go and have a look at next gen stats. Go and have a look at Kenny Pickett's passing charts from I want to say it's week nine, week ten, week eleven. He basically doesn't have a single attempt between the numbers. And then all of a sudden, week twelve, <laughs> Canada's gone, and he just absolutely peppered the middle of the field. And that's where Pat Frymuth came in and, and ate and had huge target volumes. So yeah, I think if if this is seriously what this offense is going to be, it's a big boost for Pat Frymuth. I think it's a boost for Deontay Johnson because I think he's going to get used to all over the field. It's probably a slight downgrade for Pickens, but you know George Pickens, the type of player he is, he only needs one or two targets to have a good week because we know he's going to have a high A dot. We know he's going to get used in and around the red zone. So yeah, like yeah, I I, I feel tough taking too much away from one week because as I said it mm. could be that they just identified that as a matchup 
if we see Kenny Pickett actually throw the ball between the numbers again this week, then yeah, I'm more excited and I'll be um, probably too late to buy into Pat Frymuth, but I think it'll be good for those of you that got shares and, and can hopefully see decent target volumes moving forward. Yeah, uh, um, I also have a Deontay Johnson problem, so I'm with you. I remember having to take him one round over ADP in, or maybe even more than that in Scott Fishbowl, so you didn't get it. <laughs> 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 well, I'm pleased you got him this year with how he's producing, quite frankly. Yeah, so, I was going to yeah. say, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not necessarily returned. But, um, you know, were you and I still alive in the Scott Fish Bowl uh, playoffs um, from the same division? The Camden division was well represented in the playoffs. I think we had seven in the playoffs. I think yeah, we still got five. Still got a few alive, certainly. I know Colm's, Colm's bowed out. But, um, yeah, I think we've got quite a few still still alive and kicking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this has been a real delight and a real treat, and we'll definitely get you on in the off season because I want to um, talk some rookies with you and, and do a bit more of a deep dive and, and pick your brain on some offensive situations, especially when we get some coaching changes and what we could expect in in twenty twenty four. But uh, before we go, I want you to. I'm sure most people who are listening to this are subscribers of the Fantry Century, but uh, if they're not. I want you to sort of give people the elevator pitch and, and summary of what you and Tom are doing, which is just absolutely phenomenal in, in the level of work and detail that you're putting out right now. No, I, I really appreciate coming on. It's it's awesome to chat with you. And um, yeah, really appreciate you taking time. Um, so yeah, the Sanctuary. So we're Dynasty, Redraft, Best Ball, DFS. Our, our mantra is we're here to try and help you win leagues. Um, mm. We try to come at it from a slightly more visual standpoint than than most, I'd say, whether it be graphics, mm. graphs. Try and, and be a little bit more YouTube-based than podcast-based um, and just trying to do things differently. I mean, it's difficult to reinvent the wheel when there's so many good people out here producing amazing content. Um, but, yeah, just hopefully trying to have fun and, and trying to give you the information that can can help you win so obviously in season we're very much dfs redraft focused but i'll be diving into all sorts of rookies um i have my, my rookie guide out again this year mm. um and obviously tom will be doing all sorts of best ball but yeah come and find us we're at the ff sanctuary on twitter um and at you on youtube um give us a subscribe we're, we're closing in on 1500 subscribers which is a, a nice little Number, we're hoping to hit that before the end of the season, which would be good fun. So, yeah, so please do subscribe to Fancy Saturday. And please also do buy the Rookie Guide. Um, It's incredible. I'm a patron. I I support the work that you do. Um, And I was also very honoured and flattered to be mentioned in the the opening of of that guide. It it meant a lot to me because... I've always valued the work that you do and, and I've always valued your your knowledge and your friendship. And it's just a pleasure to see the path you and Tom are taking and, and the growth and the, the great stuff that you do for the community because, you know, it's a weird one. Most people seem to think like, oh my God, there's more and more content creators and there must be rivalries. And, and there really isn't. We all get on really well because we all do things slightly differently. We all have different takes on things. And I just think the level of content that we have now in the UK community is rivaling easily uh what is available across the pond and i don't know about you but you must have a lot of international subscribers who are dare i say it probably surprised and happy with the level of knowledge that you and tom produce on a regular basis 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're blown away by the international nature. I mean, 70% of our YouTube subscribers are American, which, you know, that's it, it, that's amazing to us that we're, I'm not saying we're broken America, but, but we're, you know, for 70% of our audience to be US is, is absolutely mind-blowing. So, yeah, re really pleased with how that's going, you know, and, you know, I hugely appreciate the platform you and Stocks gave me, and it was amazing two years. And uh, I said, I, I love coming on and, and still helping and supporting and uh, and coming on chatting with you guys. It's still it's still awesome. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, definitely going to be bringing you back on, and and I'm a bit glad it's taken so long. But my health challenges, I've not been as organised as I needed to be this year. I've kind of felt like the season I've played sort of behind this <laughs> behind all year i feel like now i've caught up and it's like great it's week 13 it's always over <laughs> uh but look you've got to go because you've got a show to do um rush nation do check out everything rich is doing i'm sure all of you are following him given how long and how much work he gave to this but if you're a new subscriber over the last year you don't know who rich is follow him at dynasty island subscribe to the fantasy sanctuary on youtube i promise you it's a real treat the amount of volume of content they put out is absolutely incredible so do give that uh, a follow and and that'll do it i will be back with uh some form of strategy show tomorrow um just to give you all uh, a bit of a boost getting into week 13 uh but until then rush nation don't forget as always keep rushing Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.